The following is a Journey into Comics Network production. Hey everyone, Lauren here from Foodies Watching Movies, and you are listening to the Best of the Week show, highlights from all the shows on the network this week. So get comfy and enjoy. Piss off, ghost! Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Journey into Comics! Have you, have you seen The Thirst with Hugh Jackman and, and what's been going on with that with Deadpool? Oh, I heard something like he's like, you need to play a little hard to get. This is getting ridiculous. Yeah, because they're just like landed on thick, wanting him to be a part of it and stuff. And, you know, he said the ship has sailed and he'll never do it. And they need to stop asking and, you know, just move like, on. I almost think, yeah, as much as I would love to see them together on screen, I think it, I think Logan ended in such a way that I don't want to see Hugh Jackman in that role again. I think it just, it worked. It was good. I would I wouldn't mind having Hugh Jackman play Hugh Jackman in a Deadpool movie. I think that would be kind of entertaining. Oh, that would be funny as shit. Or just you know, it'd be even more funny is if they went back and superimposed Deadpool into that scene in uh, what was that X Men First Class when he's like "fuck off." <laughs> hey, hey, hey! He t- and uh, like just have Deadpool show up and be like. Hugh and he's like fuck off and then it's just the same cut from the movie it's not even new scene at all it's just the same it would be hilarious it's comic relief you know it's like it's just like it's just the baddest editing it's just like clearly looks like he's just walking in front of things that are don't work he's just like oh hey it's like uh... all right so before we get to the uh the, the some of these reactions I want to cover one base that we were just talking about Rob Layfield creator of Deadpool this is what he tweeted out he said I cried at the end of Deadpool 2 um, part was the nostalgia of the particular track blasting but mostly the emotion uh, that they had landed the plane in such a particular fashion the plane is the movie in this analogy there is no important plane landing sequence I'm referencing essentially they hit the they hit they hit it out of the park flawlessly and and that overwhelmed him a little bit here but I'm going to go ahead and get down to reading some of these reactions <clears throat> turn the microphone around here um so these are just some reactions that they put on comicbook.com because I didn't do enough research to actually go see reactions because I'm terrified of spoilers at this point. So I feel like if comicbook.com filtered it, I'm not going to get spoiled. Uh, someone said, Deadpool 2 took my expectations, blew them up, and regenerated as a top-tier superhero movie loaded with filthy laughs, an unstoppable force of a team, and more heart than it probably should have. Uh, someone else say, Deadpool 2, I'll say this, it earns the hell out of that R rating and the cameos and the post-credit scenes. Ooh. Did it say scenes, plural? <clears throat> That's what this uh, Kate Erbland, film editor of IndieWire, says. Alrighty then. Uh, I didn't like the first Deadpool. Deadpool 2 beat me into submission until I was actually enjoying myself. It also features um, my now favorite post-credit scene. <clears throat> Okay. Uh, someone else. I just saw Deadpool 2. Safe to say it features the best post-credit scene ever. I'm still recovering. Man, if you compare that to the Infinity War post-credit scene, this is... I'm excited. Yeah, shit, yeah, man. Okay, here's another one. Deadpool 2 is no doubt the most violent major release since Kill Bill Volume 1. It's also funnier than the first one. Has me genuinely excited for a sequel... It features a ton of Canada jokes, so of course this person loved it. They're apparently Canadian. Um, okay, so I don't know how I'm going to explain this one to you. Someone else's reaction is as follows. Uh, it's an emoji review. So I'm going to okay. read these emojis to you, and then I want you to tell me what you think this review is saying. So okay. Deadpool 2 emoji pre-review. Crying face emoji. Shocked face emoji. Cry, like crying laughing face emoji, shocked face emoji, crying laughing face emoji, shocked face emoji, red face what the fuck emoji, blushing face, red face what the fuck emoji, fire, 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 music, metal horns, emoji in shades, looks like a hug, looks like a heart. Sounds like we're gonna love this movie. <laughs> It sounds like it's going to give you everything you want. It's going to really suck you in emotionally. Because I've seen 
I think I saw an emoji review in VivioWare that was very similar. But it looks like it might have some more humor in there, which is definitely what you need in the Deadpool movie. Man, here, here, I have a couple more reviews to still read. Right. Like, this is ridiculous. I just want everybody to know, like, these reviews, when I read them, I was like, wow, like, I'm not even seeing, like, even with Infinity War, there were some people that were not 100% sold on it. And then, of course, second, third viewings changed their opinion. So, uh, here we go back to Deadpool 2. So, Deadpool 2 is a perfect sequel doubles down on everything that fans loved about the original and fixes some of that film's issues. Huge, huge laughs that play the audience like a fiddle. Uh, Ryan Reynolds destroys as Wade. Great action, fantastic comic nods, a killer ride. Someone else, I like Deadpool 2 more than the first one, which I wasn't a huge fan of. Slow start, but all the stuff with X-Force and Cable and Peter works surprisingly well. Deadpool 2, this time he knows he's in a cinematic universe. Which which Peter? Uh, there's just a rare, like a random character whose name is just Peter. Oh. It's not like is that the guy? Is that the guy who joins the X Force? Who's just like a guy? Who's yeah, just like... he's just a regular fucking guy. Someone's Sorry. review, and I'm listen. This is maybe the most bold thing you could say, <clears throat> and okay. I'm not gonna buy in on this, bro. I can't. I can't say I'm all in on this. This person's review says uh, Deadpool 2 is better than Infinity War. Shocked face emoji. Ooh. That is a bold claim. But if it's anywhere close to that, that is that's phenomenal for this movie. Okay, so here's uh the we'll close it out with one bad review and take this as a bad review if you want, I guess. Deadpool 2, 113-minute honest trailer that steals its best scenes from MacGruber. Josh Brolin's third best summer movie. Criminal misuse of Julian Dennison. Your 10-year-old son's new favorite movie. It will make a billion dollars. That's the review. I mean, alrighty then. Speaking of Deadpool 2, before we really get off it, did you see the, the music video trailer? That came out this week. No, I didn't with Celine, with Celine Dion. Dion. I was kind of awesome. I uh, yeah, I can't get down on Celine Dion, and I should have watched it, but I didn't. It's uh, just well, she's Canadian, so it's, it was very much a Canadian trailer. And at the end, she told him to fuck off, Spider Man, and I thought that was hilarious. Oh man, that's great. She said that to uh, him. Yeah, in the trailer. <laughs> that's awesome. awesome. Okay, well, where do we want to go next, man? Uh. Well, actually, coming out of before we get out of movie news, did you see also they had the premiere of another big May release that's coming? Come on now, bro. S O L O, a Star Wars story. I mean, they had a freaking Millennium Falcon on the streets of L.A. for Uh, this premiere. That's crazy. Uh, Donald Glover is Lando, and I don't know if you've seen his Saturday Night Live. I have not yet, but it was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. Like, he's every bit of talented as you would assume on all levels. And he's also very awkward, and I like that. Like, he's the most awkward, which is great. But anyways, yeah, dude, uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story, it were right around the corner. It's a Memorial Day weekend release. Uh, also getting a lot of crazy early opinions because, you know, it came out. So I'm actually going to go to that now too i'm glad that yeah i mean we're heading i there. think the best picture i saw from the premiere while you're looking those up is seeing uh donald glover with the og lando that was pretty cool from the suburbs of chicago in illinois this is the paul report with your host andrew Paul. For those of you who've been paying attention the past couple months, Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, has been in the news a lot with everything that's going on with the Stormy Daniels and with uh, Sean Hannity and just his involvement and this and that. And now it, set, now it came out this whole thing that AT&T actually hired Michael Cohen for some political legal advice 
and now the AT&T chief has come out and said it's a, it was a big mistake hiring Cohen. So Randall L. Stevenson, AT&T's chief executive, said on Friday that the company had made a big mistake by hiring President Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, to provide advice on federal policy, including how the government might approach the telecommunications giant deal to buy Time Warner. Mr. Stevenson also said the company's head of lobbying and external affairs, Bob Quinn, would be leaving the company. Our company has been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons these last few days, and our reputation has been damaged. Mr. Stevenson wrote in a memo to employees, There's no other way to say it. AT&T hiring Michael Cohen as a political consultant was a big mistake. Mr. Stevenson noted following the revelation the week the company had paid Mr. Cohen $600,000 to advise on the $85.4 billion merger with Time Warner and other regulatory matters. Federal prosecutors are investigating Mr. Cohen's business dealings, including a $130,000 payment he made to the adult film actress Stephanie Clifford, known professionally as Stormy Daniels, to buy her silence about an affair she says she had with Mr. Trump. The president has denied Ms. Clifford's claims. The payment to Ms. Clifford was the first known activity involving Essential Consultants, a company started by Mr. Cohen. It was through Essential Consultants that AT&T retained Mr. Cohen. Several other businesses, including the Swiss drug maker... Novartis and an American company linked to a Russian oligarch also sent payments to Mr. Cohen's company. The Russian Victor Vekelsberg was stopped in question at an airport this year by investigators for Robert S. Mueller III, or Mueller, I guess is actually how you pronounce it, the special counsel examining Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Although AT&T statements were meant to distance itself from Mr. Cohen and the arrangement on Friday, they also provide insight into how companies like AT&T operate in Washington during the Trump era. Mr. Trump pledged during his campaign to shake up the Washington establishment to drain the swamp while railing against the special interests, the lobbyists, and the corrupt corporate media that have rigged the system against everyday Americans. He also announced policies intended to clamp down on the revolving door between government and K Street, which is home to many of the capital capital's lobbying firms. But the anti-lobbying rhetoric and policies are not discouraged some former Trump aides from seeking big paydays from the influence industry, where few of the established players had close connections to Mr. Trump or his inner circle. Some Trump insiders, including Mr. Corn and Corey Lewandowski, a former Trump campaign manager, positioned themselves as strategic, strategic advisors because they were offered insight or political intelligence on Mr. Trump and his team and not overtly lobbying. They did not need to disclose their role with Congress and possibly the Justice Department. AT&T fanned out to try and keep pace in this cl- changing climate, although the company had long retained a platoon of lobbyists with deep connections on both sides of the aisle. None of the firms they worked with were as close to Mr. Trump as Mr. Cohen. The company said Mr. Cohen had approached it about being a consultant and that he was among several consultants the company hired as Mr. Trump was assuming the presidency. AT&T officials would not disclose the names of the other people and firms hired, but according to a person with ties to Mr. Trump's campaign, AT&T approached Trump... Uh, other Trump associates about possibly retaining them as government affairs consultants or lobbyists. The person would speak only under the condition of anonymity because their talks were private. Among Trump associates pitching AT&T was Mr. Lewandowski. AT&T said it was approached early in January 2017 by Avenue Strategies, a lobbying firm that Mr. Lewandowski helped found. AT&T said it did not pursue a contract with the firm, which Mr. Lewandowski left in the middle of 2017. AT&T paid a total of $4.1 million in lobbying fees to nearly 30 firms through their first three months of this year, according to congressional lobbying filings. But none of these businesses, including top-tier law firms like Mayor Brown and Akin Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld, have lobbyists who are as close to Mr. Trump as Mr. Cohen. The filings show that the largest fees paid to those firms were around $35,000 a month, significantly less than a fifth, the $50,000 a month that the company paid Mr. Cohen. It's possible the firms were paid other fees by AT&T that were not expressly for lobbying and therefore were not disclosed. Mr. Cohen had a similar arrangement with the giant drug maker Novartis. The multinational company paid Essential Consultants $1.2 million for a year-long contract to provide insights on the new administration's approach to healthcare policy. Novartis said its former chief executive, Joe uh, Jimenez, hired Essential Consultants like Mr. Stevenson, Novartis' current Chief Executive Vasant Narasimhan had distanced himself from Mr. Cohen, saying that this week that he had no role in the decision to hire Mr. Cohen. The company also said that hiring Mr. Cohen was a mistake. Novartis said it discovered soon after signing the contract that Mr. Cohen could not provide the services he had promised 
and allowed the contract to expire. Columbus Nova, the investment firm in New York, whose biggest client is a company controlled by Mr. Velksberg, the Russian oligarch questioned by Mr. Mueller, paid about 500000 to essential consultants last year. A lawyer for Columbus Nova had described the money as a consulting fee that had nothing to do with Mr. Velksberg. Earlier this week, AT&T said it had been contacted late last year about Mr. Cohen by Mr. Mueller's team. AT&T said it had cooperated fully with the inquiries. Novartis said this week that it had also spoken with special with the special counsel's team about the payments to Mr. Cohen. Novartis said it had cooperated fully and considered its role in the matter closed. For AT&T, the disclosure of its ties to Mr. Cohen comes at a critical moment. The company is defending its merger with Time Warner in federal court against the Justice Department's effort to block the deal. It is unclear what services Mr. Cohen provided. Mr. Stevenson insisted in his memo that everything we did was done according to the law and entirely legitimate, and that Mr. Cohen did not do any lobbying on behalf of AT&T. Nonetheless, Mr. Stevenson added, retaining Mr. Cohen was a serious misjudgment. Time Warner was not aware of AT&T's contract with Mr. Cohen, according to a person familiar with the company's thinking. Within Time Warner this week, officials were surprised to learn about the contract with essential consultants. Mr. Cohen did not respond to an interview request. Many large corporations consider such strategic advice to be part of their government affairs program. Complementing their overt lobbying efforts, AT&T's contract with Mr. Cohen, for instance, called for him to advise the company on corporate tax reform and the acquisition, according to documents first obtained by the Washington Post. But Mr. Stevenson said that with Mr. Cohen, our Washington, D.C. team's vetting process clearly failed, and I would take responsibility for that. Mr. Stevenson said that Mr. Quinn, 57, who had led the Washington team, had decided to retire, but according to a person familiar with AT&T's thinking, who was not authorized to speak publicly about the decision, he was pressured to leave because of the revelations of AT&T's contract with Mr. Cohen. Mr. Quinn began working at AT&T in the 1980s and is well-connected in the political circles of both parties, but he and the rest of the company was surprised by the election results and had, a few, con- and had few connections to Mr. Trump's circles. AT&T's vast lobbying team, which includes more than 100 people and public policy staff members, will now report to the company's general counsel, David McCatty. Mr. Quinn declined to comment. Analysts say they did not expect the revelation about AT&T's ties to Mr. Cohen to affect the government's lawsuit to block the company's merger with Time Warner. AT&T and Time Warner had suggested before the trial that the Justice Department's decision to block a merger of two companies that do not compete was influenced by presidential politics. Mr. Trump has been a vocal and is sustained for coverage of his administration by CNN, which is owned by Time Warner. But Judge Richard J. Leon of United States District Court in Washington has been strict about keeping politics out of the case, which focused on antitrust law, whether the deal would violate competition policy and harm consumers. Judge Leon is expected to deliver an opinion on the case by June 12th. These revelations come at a critical point in the trial, but they are very unlikely to have any meaningful impact on the judge's rulings. A former senior official for the Antitrust Division of the Justice Department said the president of the nonprofit Public Knowledge, Sarah Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, said on Friday that the government suit against AT&T proved that Mr. Trump could not be influenced by special interest. This is actually the definition of draining the swamp, she said. So it seems that there's a lot going on in and out of this lobbying world, and I'm personally not the biggest fan of lobbyists. I feel like lobbyists are trying to influence the elected officials that should be representing us to represent their own interests, and it just doesn't seem right. I know there's laws about what they can and can't do, but we've seen this kind of break apart, especially under the Trump administration. It seems like there's a lot of strings that connect corporations like AT&T to President Trump, to the Mueller investigation, to Michael Cohen, to Russia, to... Seems like there's a lot of webs and strings connecting a lot of this stuff, and it seems like it's a bad time to be at all involved with the lawyer Michael Cohen, and it seems like it's only going to get more interesting as the rest of this year goes on. That's one of the reasons that one of the articles that popped that I really felt needed to come up in this week's show instead of a uh, profile series. And really keep riding that uh, Trump train wherever it's going to take us. Red meat, we crave sustenance. Guys, we are not invading my aunt. Second time on the show 
is my fiance, Liz Sturba. How are you doing today? Hello. You definitely do not sound like that in real life. So, <laughs> yeah. I, Just I, to let you know. I just put a different inflection on my voice. Usually during the intro, my voice changes as I actually continue talking. Yes, you do. But my intro is always like pre It's like a radio voice. I don't know. Yes. That's kind of like what you're happens. starting an NPR station. This is thoughts for your thoughts. For your thoughts. For your thoughts. I'm pert happily. <laughs> oh my gosh. So. As you know, the other two hosts of the show, or other three hosts actually, Nate, Veronica, and Lauren, aren't going to be on this episode. It's kind of a separate show in the Foodies Watching Movies world, just doing it not in Indiana for once, which is a little different. And you guys haven't heard my voice in a while because I haven't really been on since we did the Oscar show. So that's been exciting. But what we're here to talk about today is some stuff that we tried, and that actually involved two different kinds of candy. Yes. And let's talk about the one you had first, because I think you really enjoyed that one. Yeah, so we bought the one of the new M&M's flavors, the raspberry-coated ones, and let me tell you, those were delicious. I'm obsessed. I say A-plus, good job, M&M's. Um, I could probably, I probably am going to eat the whole bag, at least probably by the end of the week, because they were so good. They were really good. And I got to actually try some candy that... I've been seeing for a while, and I'm always like, that just looks weird. And I was excited, like, today for the show. I'm just going to get it. Worse and worse, I hate it, and I just don't eat it again. And I got the Skittles Sweet Heat. So it's these fruit-flavored Skittles with a little bit of heat at the end, a little bit of spice to them. And I'm sure that's something that Nate's going to have to try, because he definitely loves his spices. But actually, I tried them. They weren't bad. It's weird. Like, it just tastes like a normal Skittle, and then there's that little bit of heat right at the end and that aftertaste. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm not much of a heat person, so it was a little weird for me, but it, I don't know. If you like the sweet and the spicy together, I guess yeah. you'd like it. It's 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 not bad at all one at a time, but if, you do, if you're the kind of person who takes like a handful of Skittles and throws them out, you'll definitely feel that heat. So I'm definitely curious to see what Nate thinks of it when he checks them out. Probably on the next one we're all together, I'll definitely make sure to bring the bag or mm-hmm. get a new bag. So that'll that'll be good. And we also found something while we were looking for the candy that... We've been waiting for since last summer, and Liz's favorite soft drink, I think. Yes, definitely. So, I guess backstory on this amazing soft drink, soda, whatever you want to call it. Um, So, we went to North Carolina to visit one of Andrew's best friends about, around a year ago, yeah? Yeah, it's Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend last year. And we went around to a bunch of different um, fast food restaurants, and I kept seeing this thing called Cheerwine. And I was like, okay, what the heck, I'm going to try it one of these times. And honestly, amazing. I could not talk highly enough for it. It's like a, it's a cola, it's like a cherry cola tasting drink, and it's just, I'm obsessed. And I was really upset because I found out you can't get it, at least at first, you couldn't get it in the stores in Illinois, and then all of a sudden, one day in, I don't know, over the summer last year, they had it, and I was obsessed, and I had a lot of it. And then all of a sudden, it stopped again, but then we went to the grocery store today, and it's back! I know. So excited. It's just delicious, and it's probably your local grocery store. They have it, they sell them in four packs. I know we were so obsessed when it came out that we were looking how much it cost to actually ship it from wherever they make it to us, and it's it was almost worth it to pay the ridiculous shipping charge for like a 12 pack of soda mm-hmm. but it's good and it comes in the glass bottle and so it's a, it's a, it's a try it yes definitely it's a nice throwback feel and it's it's not often you actually have soda in a glass bottle so when you do it, it's kind of it takes you back and it kind of it just it's a nice feeling yeah and i mean it really it's not that bad of a price for the four packs so i mean it's worth it it's about like a buck a bottle essentially something like that a little less maybe so but more than worth it more than worth it. I Definitely. agree. And that kind of brings us to our next thing, which couldn't be uh, foodies watching movies. We didn't talk about food. So we went to a restaurant that I don't think anyone else, it hasn't been talked about in the show before, and that is a restaurant called Sushi Kushi San 3, which is a restaurant in the Chicago suburbs that Liz and I have been to a couple times. And it's always pretty dependable. I don't know. What are your thoughts on the restaurant? It's good. It was definitely crowded, for sure. 
um, since it was Saturday night, and it's kind of a popular place because it's right by the movie theater, and so people will go for sushi before movies. Not exactly something that I would do, but it's common around here. Yeah, we had a couple interesting dishes. I know we had uh, unagi, I think was the first thing we had. Yeah, the una- il unagi, believe it or not. Which actually wasn't bad, and then we... Uh, this place, this restaurant is actually pretty unique because it's a normal sushi restaurant, but they have this weird pop culture vibe going. Like, there's a an old, like, samurai suit, and then there's a stormtrooper helmet next to it, and they have a bunch of, like, Funko Pops on some shelves next to, like, ornate Chinese or Japanese artwork. It's just a... And they also have a small TV by where they have, like, the sushi bar, and it plays anime, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> I just turned over and it was like Dragon Ball Z was on. And you're like, what in the world is this place? And mm-hmm. it's it's a neat little place. And we had a we were there with one of our really good friends who also enjoys sushi, and he was the one who invited us out. So it made for a fun night. We got to try a couple different things we haven't had before, including a uh, well. After we had to do the really long wait, they brought out the uh, we got the Star Wars sushi, really vying into their whole pop culture vibe, and it came out, and the sushi was laid out to look like a lightsaber. Unfortunately, we didn't get a picture. By the time it came, we were so hungry, we just dove right into it. And also had a little uh, tiki hut of Darth Vader full of sweet potato fries. Yeah, that was kind of an odd piece to it, but it actually was... They were actually probably one of the better uh, sweet potato fries I've had, and it's kind of ironic because it's at a sushi place, and not where you would expect it to be. I don't think they had like a... Fry or anything, so I don't know what how they were. Well, maybe for the tempura. Yeah, they probably had a separate fryer, and that's probably what took it a little longer than anything else. Yeah, and the the lightsaber sauce was real had some spice to it, so it made really good. And actually, it was pretty good for dipping the the sweet potato fries into. Yeah, definitely. But and I'm still just the worst person at trying to use chopsticks. It's just I'll pick it up, and sometimes I'll be lucky, and then sometimes I'll just I'll just squeeze the whole inside out of a roll and it'll just fall onto my plate and you're like oh man yep that happened quite a couple times so i had to pick up his pieces and give it to him because it was a little hard for him to keep certain rolls together i needed to bring my my chopstick buddy which is that little thing that holds the two chopsticks together so you just have to squeeze and everything stays you just need to have that on a keychain and just be like sushi time let's go oh gosh but it was it's a really, it was a nice little restaurant and definitely always a good place to go back. And some, and sushi's not one of those restaurants you can go to once a week or something. It's one of those that you go to very occasionally, like every few months at most. Because yeah. it's, it's filling, but it's not super substantial. As long as you go get sushi and then you're, an hour later you're like, I'm kind of hungry again. Let's, let's go get something else. Yeah, I mean, and... I don't know. We had a lot of different roles, and so, like, now everything mulling over in my stomach, I'm just like, man, I had, like, I don't know, at least five or six different types of seafood, and now it's kind of like, like, ugh. It's got some caviar in there. Caviar, octopus. You did, we, yeah. I I haven't had octopus raw, or not raw, but, like. Sushi. Unbreaded, not calamari, I guess. Right. Any form like that. And seeing, that. like, a suction cup, and I was like, ah, that's, that's okay. Yeah, and it got stuck in my teeth. It was real awkward. But <laughs> still good. Yes, definitely. And we also had some sake with it. Had yeah. the I never had sake before we had it today, so it was it's, really good. I don't know what kind it was, but it was, like, a milky one, I guess is what yeah, I think, Sam was saying. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it had a very creamy look to it, and it was cold sake, which, I know there's different kinds. You get it hot, you can get the warm one, you get the cold one, and it was in this little... The, the little carafe that it was in had a uh, an ice hole in the side of it so it could keep the drink cold without watering down the sake, which is definitely what all mixed drink containers should have. So yeah, can, I think it would be good for like a white wine too. I don't know, because I know white wine, you usually have to chill it and no, that no. would be something good. The only thing is if you're pouring it, it can be kind of difficult because if you pour it a certain way, it will, right. the water that tends to happen when ice melts. Yeah. It because can it, get all over the place. Right, because so it, was, it was filled with ice, but it wasn't a problem until it really started melting, and then it, it was just water all over the table by the time we were done. But it wasn't a big deal. You wipe up the napkin, you're good to go. Yeah. I think the only thing that would make it better is if it were, if they put the ice, like, 
I don't know if they had some sort of film on top of it that you could put over it. We're gonna fuck the sodomites in the... So, Did you just get derailed? I don't know. Like, uh, Did you? Are you in an entirely different dimension now? Yeah, because I'm now the the idea of going to 450 North is in my head, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh yeah. Well, when we finish the show, we'll fucking map quest it and see how far it is. Okay, okay. Um, so Mon- who who knows if they're even open that late on a Saturday? Oh yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. Um, so. Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate. Yep. Got announced for North American release on the Switch only. Not, so, so no we, more 3DS. We called, um, when we were leading up to Monster Hunter being released for all the major consoles and PC, we uh, we called that eventually the Switch would get its own Monster Hunter. If, if it wasn't Monster Hunter World, it would be something else. Either a past title or a new title. Um, I was really happy to see this because... Uh, there's a lot of people that have switched. Huh? You see what I did, you see what I did there? They have uh, the they have went they have went balls deep with the Nintendo Switch, and yeah. uh, they kind of want to stay that route. And I don't own a Switch yet. I'm going to probably pick one up this holiday season. Um, I look forward to when I do, just because of you know maybe it'll finally be a, a kind of handheld thing that I like. You know, Sony announced today that they're not, they've ceased uh, Vita game production. Yeah, I saw that. So, um, you know, maybe this will kind of keep handhelds going uh, with the Switch and the 3DS and shit like that, obviously. Um, But uh, I obviously never got to play Generations. I briefly played it. Um, I got the Generations, like, 3DS. what what (laughs) What I'm worried about is that people will play or pick up generations for the switch and they're like man this game's kind of weird yeah cuz it, it's not it, really what it's not really what everybody's been telling me that monster hunter world is and like why would they make games so differently and then people don't realize that generations is an older yes, game an, an older iteration an older um the way eric's gaming put it is it's it's really just a it's not there for the newcomers. It's there for the people that have been playing it for years and years mm-hmm. and years. Uh, which I I'm on the fence about getting it. I I feel like I'm going to regardless, and I'm I'm gonna get a switch to do that. Um, but I'm on the fence about it because since Monster Hunter World came out, like I love Monster Hunter World. They they fixed all of almost all of the issues mm-hmm. I had with the original game series. Uh, all the quality of life issues. At well, least. we both we both put in over 150 hours. I believe I'm at 118. Okay, well, we've both put in over 100 hours of yeah. game time, which is a lot of game time when you work five days a week. Yep. You know, Monday through Friday. That's a lot of game time. Um, especially since the game only came out in February. <laughs> yeah. Here we are in May. We've well, put in over look 100 at hours. Gaming, he's he's at over 1000 hours on it. Right, but he does that but for he, a living. Yes, he does it for a living. Um, right. But, you know, we we don't need to get sucked into Monster Hunter World because if we do, we'll, we'll start now and finish the show with it. Um <laughs> but they they took they definitely put their foot in the right direction with that game. And like I said, the only thing I'm worried about is that that people will pick up generations for the Switch because they can't get World for the Switch yet. I'm gonna say yet because I think I don't think it will. I I think they will eventually. I don't think it will. They're they're putting it on PC. They're gonna put it on Switch too. It only makes sense. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It won't be as pretty because no. it'll be maxed out at 720 resolution. Yeah. But, you know, I see him doing it eventually. I I think I think I'll get generations just simply because I miss being able to be portable with it. Mm-hmm. And uh it it would make yeah. And just the fact the simple fact that it it, it it's image it's MH3 ultimate except 
you can play it that you don't need two separate consoles to play either portable or on a TV. Right. You can just do it all in one. And uh, so if you're on the go, you can play it portable. If you're at home, well, you can do both right. if you want. Uh, so I, I was not a fan of Monster Hunter Generations. They added the the fighting styles and art hunter arts and stuff, and that was it was just too much for me. And there was just way too much. They nerfed too many things to make it easier, I guess. Accessible. They they no, not even accessible. They made it easier so that you could get into those things. Okay, so that's accessible. Uh, they made those those new features accessible by nerfing other things, and I didn't like that. Okay. Uh, because I also didn't. I tried out the new things and I wasn't honestly a fan. I didn't need them. I just, I went, I switched back to the regular style. Uh, the guild style is what it's called. And I just went to town on for the little time that I did. And Can you kill a Kutku? I believe Kutku is in there. All right, then I'm getting it. Uh, Kutku, they, they brought, it's got, a, it features over 93 monsters. Because we still haven't got Kutku in Monster Hunter World and I'm kind of pissed off about Yeah, I that. know. <laughs> Uh, but it features 93 monsters. Also, I want to bring this up. Uh, I watched some test footage for Monster Hunter World from yes, 2015-ish. And it had Lagiacris. It had Lagiacris in it. And I'm kind of pissed off. I am too. They said it wouldn't work for this this world. And I'm like, I literally just watched the test footage and it's it, it does yeah, work. Yeah, the motherfucker swam across the ocean. How does Devil Joe work, but Legiacris does not? Yeah. I mean, they got... It's Jir- fucking bullshit. You got Jiratotos, who just swims around. In the lava. That's Lavazia. You're right. I mean, it's it's perfectly possible to put fucking uh, Legiacris in a little swamp area. Or, well, who's to say that they don't, well, they, don't, they, don't, they don't just spend, you know, a week making another area that's got a big lake? Yeah, that you don't even need to. There, there doesn't need to be underwater combat. No, you can I find him on that. the beach. Yes, exactly. Which w- he was much easier on the beach, but they can. Underwater combat the... was cool about the first three times that I did it. Yeah, and then after that, it fucking sucked. Just underwater anything sucked because it was it was very difficult to maneuver. It was very yes. difficult to just move. Well, especially because we were playing on the Wii U. Yeah, that I was fucking playing, sucked. I played on the Wii U. I played on the 3DS. Either I, way, they both I, suck. I got the special controller attachment to add a second analog to your 3DS. And I can't sell it. <laughs> I just have it now. I don't have a 3DS, but I have that fucking thing. Uh, but, no, Underwater was stupid. I hated it. Uh, but It was cool to explore. That's about it. Yeah, whatever. I It was cool to fight, like, smaller scale things. But when it came to, like, uh, like Cadus or Goldbeard Cadus, those battles sucked. They were not fun boss fights. You have this very, very incredibly large creature, larger than anything else in the game, and it sucks to fight because you're underwater. Uh, you, if you just play offline only, you fight regular Cadus. If you play online, then Cadus is or Goldbeard Cadus is like your gateway to G rank. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I never fought Goldbeard. But uh, yeah, so I I hope to see uh, Monster Hunter continue to do well. Oh, me too. On on both or on all platforms, um, because the PC port is still not out. No, it's not. That should be here in August, I believe. Um, I think when that drops, we're gonna get another update with something. I would hope so. Because they they're gonna have to have something for the PC people. Yeah, probably be another. That's personal computer, not fucking uh politically correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it'll PC it'll probably be like another harvest uh event where they open up all the events at the same yeah. time. But that, and then save that for the fall. And later then on. throw an up an update. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh I, I hope we get another uh I, I know we're gonna see see another Colf tear off siege. Uh I feel like I, I want I want another monster added in. I want I want Kaku. I, I want, want multiple monsters added in. I think they could add Kaku. And... I want to fight Zenogre. Zenogre would be cool. There's a lot of talk about Zenogre getting added to the game, so it'd be fun. We need we need something new. I'm ready to play it again. I yeah, play I, it I mean, again. and that's you and I have both kind of given it a break, obviously because of God of War and 
everything I've, else going on. I've played it a little bit here and there since I got God of War. I'm I'm trying to to scramble through my backlog while yeah. I'm not playing Monster Hunter, um, so I can get some really badass games knocked out mm-hmm. while I have time. Um, but it you know it's it's summertime, man. I want to be outside. I don't want to be sitting inside playing video games. Even though I want to be sit- sitting inside playing video games, <laughs> so I'm I know. a fucking video game addiction. Uh, but uh, yeah, video games are going to be hard for me coming up this summer because. Uh, I have a girlfriend and she's got kids and all of them love to be outside and I've I've been looking for an excuse for years to actually like get outside more. First ever State of the Network special. I am Nate Phillips. You've heard me across many podcasts <clears throat> on this network. I am the creator of Journey into Comics podcast and uh, co-creator of the network, creator of co-creator of Journey into Wrestling and Foodies Watching Movies, and I created the Voice of Survival. Doesn't matter about that stuff because although. Um, yeah, I've done a lot, sure, whatever, doesn't matter. Because today we're going to be talking about the future of Journey into Comics Network, um, the shakeups that have happened, what's what's to come from those shakeups, what you can look forward to in the future here, some big announcements actually dropping here today. We're not going to like put them anywhere else, we're just going to put them on this very one-off special episode uh, for now, just to give you guys like a little bit of an update on what's going on in our world and why things have been going on so you know i don't really know where i want to start but i feel like it is very important to say that yes uh, as some of you may noticed there is no butt stuff podcast on this network anymore there's no literature podcast and uh well game addicts is game addicts and i don't really know what the future holds for them um but stuff ended. They wanted to be done with their show, and they recorded their finale, which apparently wasn't a very great podcast, but it was a great like live stream video thing, because they did it on Facebook. Uh, literature is a different story. <clears throat> I'm trying to find the words here. Uh, in short, let's just say some decisions were made that were outside of my knowledge, outside of my control and uh, really outside of the bounds of anything that had been discussed for the future of our network moving forward. Um, With that being said, uh, literature now has their own feed. They're doing their own thing. Uh, Check them out wherever they are. I don't actually know. So uh, I'm sure you can search literature podcast and find them. Uh, with that being said, it was like, oh man, there's like this great turmoil that literature's leaving and all this stuff. And yeah, that situation was, it definitely caught me off guard to say the least. Um, I wasn't in the slightest prepared, um, for that news to break or the, you know, um, whatever that was, uh, situation that kind of broke down. And as a content creator first, but as a guy who has for four years put his heart and soul into podcasting and tried to help find other people who don't realize that they are talented and able to do this really well um, and give them an opportunity to shine and uh, expand because, man, podcasting has done so much for me. So it's like at this point, the least I can do is show all my friends and give them an opportunity to do it. And if they're really fucking good at it make a show, join our network or whatever, you know? So, uh, something like this happens. It kind of shakes me to my core. Cause it's like, man, I put my heart into these people and situation happens. And, you know, maybe I'm, you know, not the best business person and took it a little bit personal. Um, 
again, with the amount of effort I feel like I had tried to help put into some of those shows, uh, the lack of consideration, I think, really affected me. And um, I might have got a little bit upset, folks. Not going to lie, I definitely can get angry when shit gets kind of thrust my way. And uh, straightforward, this is something I was not prepared for. It was something that was definitely kind of unprofessional how it was done. I don't know what other word to say. Eh, I'm I'm shrugging here because I'm not really sure. Uh, But anyways, so, you know, that thing happened. And in the midst of all of that... Brandon decided to step away from podcasting, and maybe some of that has to do with the fact that he saw me as more of a business person for the first time in our podcasting relationship and realized I don't play bullshit. Like, I want things to run tight and smooth and consistent and professionally and with grace and grandeur and, you know, uh, keeping our listeners in mind first. That's a big thing to me because you don't know who's listening where, and you could develop big fan bases in different countries and just disappear someday they don't know why you left or what happened so here i am explaining to you folks kind of some of the things that have happened brandon stepped away and that was another blow that was dealt to me but you know uh, maybe this is a little bit too candid uh, it seemed to me that that was something i had actually prepared for months prior uh, there was a situation that had happened. Brandon was like kind of aloof with what he was saying was going on. And I thought he was done with everything at that time. So I was prepared. I was emotionally not prepared at that time <clears throat> when it first happened initially. So when he actually was like, hey, I'm going to step away and whatnot, I didn't really take it as a surprise or I didn't get offended or shocked or anything because I was kind of like ready for it, you know? Uh, not to say that I knew he was like, his heart wasn't in or something. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not, that's not, I'm not even uh, to have any kind of conjecture for me or what I think Brandon's motives or opinions are. I still don't know. You know, I still don't fully know everything and maybe someday we will. Maybe someday we won't. Who knows? I, that, that's not what I'm considering right now. So we, uh, I have had to now kind of officially take the reins folks. And, uh, As anybody who's a part of the network or who has been a part of the network will tell you, I love doing this stuff and I love inspiring people, like I said earlier, and helping people to find their voice and and do something creative that's outside of the means of of what they normally would, you know, and give them an opportunity to shine in ways that they maybe didn't know they could. So with that being said, I feel like, you know, the, the ball has been passed back to me now and it's like, okay, well, I got to really inspire people now, and, and now we're down three shows officially. So, And then, of course, uh, Journey into Wrestling officially is done for the season. It'll come back uh, around SummerSlam time. So uh, we're technically down four shows, and youch, you know, things are rough. Things look really bad for us, kind of. But it doesn't, because we planned, and things are perfect. And that's why, that's why I love this thing. And I want to talk, before I talk about the new shows and stuff, and that's coming, we're going to make some major announcements today. A pilot has been sent to me that we are officially going to go forward with as a new show and a new concept and a, another show that I already gave a green light to a long time ago has a cool intro we probably will play on the show at some point today uh, if we get to it. But before we go there, <clears throat> Brandon's departure... Um, signaled a major change in the culture of Journey into Comics Network. It it went from two guys running it to temporarily one guy running it, who literally, me, went up way over my head. I I I need to have guys to bounce thoughts off of because if everything is left up to me, then... I like to check up ideas. I like to think about my ideas. I like to bounce them off different people and give get different perspectives because they're not me. And I can only see my my viewpoint until someone else tells me theirs, you know? So when this all broke out, uh, I had a couple gents who were part of the network who have been 
beyond fantastic is a word. Uh, and I'm going to shout them out very loudly and very proudly here. Uh, first and foremost, I need to shout out the guy who's been doing this as like not full time as long as I have, but literally has been doing it since some of our earliest episodes on the network or on Journey into Comics as, as a show, which is Mr. Dick Blaine Tyner. Man, Dick or Blainer, Dr. Dongo or Dr. Dingo, whatever you want to call him. It's time for Brews with Dudes. Ah, juicy. I'm your host, Nick Maxson. I'm sitting here once again with Casey Taylor from Jerry Lee's Pub. Or are we officially going with North End Pub now? Is that yes, it's official. It's official. Official as of their name changed. Cool. So you always awesome. have to say the North End Pub formerly... Jerry formerly yes formerly known as yeah there it is and we're also sitting here with mr adam leper from founders brewing company how are you doing good how are you doing i'm doing good about good. to be doing better hey everyone uh, out there i've been i've been dragging ass today because i drank too many beers last night <laughs> and then had to had to work all day so i think this is exactly what i'm gonna need to get myself back in the game I feel you. I I was out late last night too. It was 4:20 last night. So it was. It was. It was uh, a holiday. <laughs> some people would say it was a long day. It was a very yeah, long day. I know for you it was a long day. Yeah, we we were up at at the crack of dawn, heading down for a beer release. So it was worth it though. It was well worth it. Um, so let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into these beers. We're All we're right. down at the North End Pub, uh, doing a Founders Tap Takeover. Uh, we're going to be uh, sampling a bunch of different beers, specifically from Founders tonight. Going to do a little bit of trivia. Going to get all swagged out with some cool stuff. Uh, so I believe we're starting off with the All Day. All Day IPA. I could drink it all day. I have drank it all day before. Me too. It's, one of the, it's, a, it's a good beach beer. Mm-hmm. Good lawnmower beer. Um, 4.7%. So hence you can drink it all day. Uh, yeah, so um, this beer is now our most successful or best-selling beer. Um, about 50% of the beer we make now is all day. We wow. Made, that one beer has become so popular. It's because it's the number one selling session IPA and the number two selling IPA of any kind in wow. both the United States and in good old Indiana. Wow. Uh, yeah, so the word crushable. That, applies. Yeah, right. It's crushable. Yeah. Definitely crushable. But yeah, that's what I like about this is the four point seven. It's a beer that you can actually drink a lot of and it not and not have to completely pay for it. It's not the eight to ten yeah. percent or that it's is not, gonna catch up later. Yep. It's not terribly bitter either. No. Nope. Forty two IBUs, so it's got a little bit of a hop kick from Amarillo, Simcoe. Um Jeremy Kosmicki, our brewmaster, um, he wanted to make a beer that he could literally drink all day um, while he was brewing. Um, and he want, he, the one thing that he's quite most proud of, I've heard him talk about, is the mouthfeel also. It's, it doesn't feel like a thin, watered-down IPA. Right. It's, it's got – and he, there's some tricks that he used, some brewing techniques. But um, the, one of the most interesting things that I learned from him was he spent four years and over 400 different recipes – pursuing this beer holy shit it took him four years to get to the one that we're drinking now and it came out in 2012 so he started brewing going after this beer in about wow. 2008 so although it's not considered the original or the very first session ipa to hit the market mm -hmm. we're pretty confident he was working on one before anyone else yeah so that is awesome and what would make it a session? Uh, typically, um, the word session is used when a beer is under 5% alcohol, so that meaning that you can drink more of them in a session. So All these things make sense. <laughs> all, so far, all the answers and the terminology. You walked me right yeah. to that one. <laughs> Just clarifying for anyone that doesn't know. Hell yeah. Right, of course. Yep. Yep. The answer makes sense. Yeah, hell yeah. So we've got... Uh, what do we have tonight? Is it five different ones? Or? Yes, yes. Cool. It's the Centennial, the All Day, the Breakfast Out, the Rubeus, and the Dirty Bastard. The Dirty Bastard. That Dirty Bastard. And then we've also got, they, they've brought a cool list of, like, cocktails and blends that you can do. Like, there's this one that I, that I keep eyeballing. They call it the Chocolate-Covered Raspberry. And, and you blend the Rubeus with a porter or a stout. It just sounds... 
Fucking awesome. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we go to the breakfast out, leave a little bit, pour the uh-huh. rogues, talk about that, and then okay. move on to it. Yeah. I like, I like the way you think. Yeah, so we'll do yeah, some I'm not, I'm breakfast not, stuff. Are you allowed to cuss on this? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> we sure can. One of the things, actually, the dude at the bar told me I had never had a breakfast until recently, and he said, if I could die, I would want to go out riding a motorcycle, getting head, drinking this beer. <laughs> so that was like my preemptive nice. introduction to the beer, which would also explain why one would die, though. I mean, the whole, yeah. that, that's a believable way to die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But at least I'm, he said he'd be happy. Have, you'd have to have one of those little side cards. I that's what I told That's exactly what I said, dude. So you're rolling with one of those side cards. Right. Nothing else makes sense. But it was a weird picture. Uh, but I will say this. It's a fantastic beer. Fantastic yeah, yeah. beer. They've got a... Uh, Adam brought this nice little booklet uh, that talks about all their different beers and stuff. And everything is pretty across the board rated amazingly like everyone loves them all yeah there's uh there's we use rate beer there's rate beers beer advocate i know some people have their beefs with rate beer but we've been on it for a long time and uh and like the beers it. yeah the beers and the beers are rated um have, have a lot of ratings if you look up the number of ratings that really tells yeah. you that it's a large sample size but yeah you bring up something that i use when i'm selling our beer um all the time we actually have um, what I am confident is the highest-rated portfolio of beer available in Indiana. If it's, you look I mean, across our board, if 97, across 100, us, 99, 98. Our two lowest-rated beer, we have one that's a 73 that's Green Zebra and one that's an 82. Um, and then the next lowest is a, 90, a 92. Like, everything is 92 or above on rate beer, pretty much, except two of our beers. So I actually had somebody today ask me if we were going to have the green zebra i was the, like i think we were i think we're right it's not quite out yet right outside of it yeah, yeah. Uh, green zebra comes out next i think uh our distributor begins selling it next week um cool. so the week of april 23rd um it'll be hitting hitting out there that's our watermelon goza um but yeah so i guess breakfast out is the next beer we're trying here and we got in front of us now yeah um so yeah, this is um, what we, uh, the original breakfast stout. Um, there's many now like it, um, but we, uh, Jeremy, was the first to start messing around and experimenting with um, chocolate and coffee and some oatmeal to boost the mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. No, so, it's my favorite. It's delicious. It's creamy. Yeah, roasty, creamy, a little sweet from the chocolate. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, it's more of a. It's, it's not a. There's many different. Um, Many different categories of stout, dry stouts, um, milk stouts. This would probably fall closest to a sweet stout because of the um, the additions of the addition of the chocolate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're eight point three percent, so it's got a nice kick to it. This up until this year was only available in the cold weather months. We basically only sold it from about October through January or February. But as of this year. Um, we have gone year-round with it. So you'll be able to find it in stores and, and on taps any time of the year. Awesome. And another fun fact, it's the number five selling stout in the country. Wow. The, the top four selling stouts are all year-round. You can imagine what the number one by far is. It comes from Ireland. Um, ah. and, but, then the, but then the other three, along with that one, are all year-round stouts. So mm-hmm. we, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we creep up into the top three or so now that we're making ours year round yeah we got in the top five of the beer we were selling for a couple a, months for like a third of the year yeah it's delicious yeah i i uh have just in the past couple months started getting more into stouts and stuff and this is definitely one of the first ones that i tried and uh love it totally love it i like it it's not that heavy yeah you know some of the stouts you drink it and they're just very heavy they kind of sit heavy you can only have yeah. a couple and this is another one that's super drinkable that you can have numerous, and I just love the taste of it. Yeah. So, Nick, what are you doing over there? It looks like you're a mad scientist. Yeah, I went ahead and uh, I threw some of the rubeus into the end, the end of my breakfast out. Yeah, so, yeah, we call this, uh, or I call it, we kind of unofficially refer to it as a breakfast rub because we're using mm-hmm. rubeus. Yeah. So um, that's one way to look at it, but it kind of the the, the raspberry kicks in with the chocolate um, and really holy and, yeah that's shit that's a good combo 
Yeah, that, you can. That I is a really good play, combo. You play with the with the ratios. Some people like more raspberry, more rubeus, and it really thins it out. I tend to think it's better with seventy or so percent breakfast out, and then just a yeah. little bit of rubeus. It really kicks through really well. But yeah, see, that's the, what I the did. The chocolate I hits you in the front, and then and then the raspberry. The raspberry, like it's actually a chocolate covered raspberry. That is amazing. I feel like that's what I'm going to be drinking on tonight. No, yeah. I'm just going to keep, keep <laughs> blending these together. Hell no, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, definitely a fun thing is looking at that list and going through some of these and trying them and mixing them because you don't think about it, but it's a perfect mixture. It's oh, absolutely yeah. awesome. Yeah, we, um, we, we, we love Rubeus by itself, and it's a great beer by itself, but it's also a fun beer to, to play with.